Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And you're going to find out pretty quickly that this is a very special episode. Um, And you will find that out in a couple different ways. But I want you to know as one of our intros here that we actually have a new feature that uh, I want to introduce to you. It is where you can leave us a voicemail from your phone or your laptop. And this is going to allow you to ask us a question or maybe submit a comment using your actual voice. So this is a fun feature we have. So if you go to boundless.org and search for episode 800, uh, or you will see the show notes for the link, you can go ahead and try it out. And uh, maybe you will start hearing others' voices and your voice in the near future. Yes, definitely don't want to miss that feature right there. So later on for our inbox, is it important to actually join a church or should you just kind of go and casually attend? One of our listeners is wanting to know, so our very own Lisa Anderson is going to weigh in with some thoughts on that. And then later on for our culture segment, Greg Smalley is back for part two of a conversation on what it looks like for you to be preparing well for marriage. So he'll specifically get into what true love looks like. You do not want to miss out. Well, here we are for a very special roundtable, and you're probably wondering who are these guys who are talking right now. I am John Pearden. I'm the producer of The Boundless Show. And I'm Alex Seeley. I am the editor for The Boundless Show, and uh, we are both going to be taking the horns for today's episode. Yes, for the roundtable specifically, but we are very excited because... Lisa Anderson, this is your 800th episode. Congratulations. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's pretty outrageous. I can hardly even believe it. Yes. Well done. Congratulations on an amazing accomplishment. So we're going to mix it up a little bit for our roundtable. Normally, Lisa is the one asking us questions, but today we get to ask you the questions. So you ready for this? Yeah, this is pretty terrifying, and I'm not sure. I had to prep these guys beforehand because I'm like, I don't release control easily, you guys. So you give it your best shot, and we'll see how you do, you know. But no, I'm, I think it's going to be fantastic. So yeah. go for it. Yes. So since it's 800 episodes, I'm just curious. Did you ever imagine when you first started back in 2008 that it would ever get to this point? I don't think I did. And honestly, you guys... I don't think a lot of people know that I wasn't even officially working for Boundless when I started hosting the show. I was actually leading our media relations team here at Focus on the Family and uh, just kind of would come in and do the hosting of the show at some point during the week and then go back to my quote unquote day job. And so I didn't really envision it. And obviously I was... uh, quite unseasoned. I mean, they were basically just like, hey, give this a try. And so I thought, you know, I could be fired within weeks here. But um, (laughs) we know because we've searched this and have found, in fact, I think I saw just the other day that the first known podcast that they had out there anywhere um, was around 2005, I think, 2004, Mm -hmm. 2005. So Boundless was really on the front end of it. And many of them don't have the longevity that a lot do. So it's been a privilege to be part of it this long. That's amazing. I think that having just 800 episodes, you are well known with the process, with what it's like to work with, particularly John in scripting content. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to ask both of you, we'll start with John, but for both John and Lisa, what is the most surprising thing about working with one another? And what's the most admirable thing you find about each other? Oh, we're getting into the day-to-day now, yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> you go first, John. How honest do you want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Careful, John. Most surprising thing, 
probably the fact that Lisa's not a big fan of the South. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a, that's it's surprising. A daily, daily conversation. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it, it 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 is something that I mean we joke about a lot, but yeah, she's not a big fan. So I don't hold it against her though. I mean it's part of the back and forth bantering. But being a fellow Southerner, I can't ever diss where I came from. So <laughs> most admirable. I think her just natural ability to ask good questions, even outside of work, because you enjoy playing question games. Mm -hmm. And even (laughs) times that we've had group parties at your house, you're always quick to bring out the question game. And she's just naturally good at asking questions. Which is why you're a better roundtable facilitator than us. We want to just, <laughs> you do. have control over that. You don't want to step well, on your toes. I also have, you know, a few years on you too right. from having done it. So there is some experience there. I would say, man, for me answering this, I would say the most um, surprising thing is probably how many things I find out that John is involved in because he's kind of working, you know, he's always working, he's always here. Every time, like there are very few times when I go looking for John that I don't find him. I just feel Mm. like he's kind of always present, just hammering things out, making things happen. But then I find out that when he's not doing that, he's like witnessing to people on the weekends. He's hiking 14ers here in Colorado. He's going to, I don't know, like 12 game nights a week, it seems like, or at people's houses. He does stuff with his roommate. So he's just kind of like a guy about town and very, um, yeah, just very active and involved. And so that's really fun to hear about what's happening. We always catch up on one another's weekends on Mondays at our Monday (laughs) meetings. So that's always fun. And I would say, although, oh, I do need to say too about the Southern thing. I think it's not... (laughs) not animosity. I think it's ignorance. I'm just always like when I meet Southerners and I hear about all these Southern traditions and like the South will rise again and the fact that they still do pageants down there. I'm just like, can someone explain? There's just a lot that I have to take in. And so John's been very gracious in um, informing me about a lot of this stuff. But admirable thing, I think that is probably that John is always going after growth in his own life in many different ways and very honest about Uh, just what God is teaching him, what he's learning, very quick to apologize and say, oh my goodness, you know, I need to, you know, or I'm going to work on that or what is that, you know, and so, and everyone, um, some of you guys don't know, but he actually got like our employee of the month for all of like Focus on the Family not too long ago. So that's not an easy thing to get here. And so that just speaks to that. Mm-hmm. Thank well you, deserved. Lisa, and that means a lot. Thanks Absolutely. for voting for me yeah, since yeah. You're, you're actually I did on vote that committee, for yeah. so thank you. <laughs> but that means a lot. I appreciate it. So 800 episodes in, I think it's fair to say we deal with a lot of content such as spiritual growth, cultural issues, dating, stuff like that. Do you ever personally need a break? And if so, how do you take one? Yeah. So as you guys know, because I talk about it on so many shows, I feel like I'm in the process of one, literally trying to unplug. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing this like digital. We just did a show on digital detox. And I've been trying to do that now since the first of the year. So that's uh, some of that. And in getting rid of that, I always try to add in things outside like hiking. I'll just go for random walks. I'll put on, weirdly enough, a podcast, maybe not this one often. (laughs) (laughs) I can't hear my voice too often in one week, y'all. 
Um, but I like to do that. And then just hanging out with friends. I love talking about theology and life and applying things and just growth kind of topics. So that's kind of one way that I can feel like I get away from it. And then two, because of working with um, young adults all day and all week, sometimes I go the opposite end of the spectrum and people know that I love my oldsters. And so I hang out a lot with senior citizens, ladies from church, other women who are mentors to me. And so that kind of provides balance. That's great. Yeah. And along the lines of the work life and the personal life, Are there books that you have read here for work, for Boundless, and guests that you've had on that have helped you in your personal development? Of the books that you've read over 800 episodes, which ones stand out in terms of what have been most helpful for you in just your personal life? Hmm. Wow. Okay, so that is hard because, my goodness, like how many culture segments have we done (laughs) in 800 episodes that have been centered around a book? I mean, there are so many. Most. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say, okay, one that comes to mind right away is um, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. When I had him on, and that was a book that when I read it, I knew I wanted to have him on the show because you always feel like you need to improve in your prayer life. But I felt like when I read A Praying Life, I actually got real practical steps Mm. for making it happen in my life rather than just just pray more or just try something, you know, I'm like, that's way too nebulous. He actually gives really great attainable reasons for prayer and how to go about prayer. So that was big for me. So one other one, I'm going to go way back on this. And this was formative for me even before Boundless. It kind of is what one of the things on the front end of Boundless I got into. And that was Candace Waters book. And many of you know, Candace is the founder of Boundless, but she wrote a book called Get Married. And, uh, and I was... (laughs) I mean, not that not that actually I've gotten married, so I can't say I fully applied the principles of the book, but it was really formative in me valuing marriage and realizing that marriage is a good thing to pursue. Prior to reading that book, I had no concept of that. And so that was very formative. And there are many ways, you know, since then that I've kind of tweaked it and shaped my thoughts and taken in thoughts from other people. But that was so landmark for me and just being like, oh my goodness, like marriage is a good thing and it doesn't Mm -hmm. just happen. So that was great. I'm also going to throw in there um, something that I was kind of like an aha was when we had Emerson Egrich on, I don't know how long ago, but he um, has a book titled The Four Wills, I think. And it was kind of- Four Wills of God, yes. Yeah, The Four Wills of God. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of this idea of like, kind of his take on there are some things you don't have to pray about. So it goes through scripture Mm -hmm. and what are the things that actually God says, this is the will of God. And there are four things outlined in scripture. And so he says, start with those when you're looking for the will of God and then realize that there's a lot of flexibility beyond that and what God allows you to do when you're thinking of calling or vision for your life or whatever. So those are a few that have had a big impact on me. Wow. Cool. I remember that Emerson Egerich interview. It was actually during the COVID pandemic yes, that yep. we did that. No wonder I needed to read it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was perfect timing for that one for sure. So, kind of following up on Alex's question about books that have helped you in your own development, you actually had quite a career before you came here to focus and even, of course, before Boundless. But what were some skills that you acquired from previous jobs that you've been able to use here at Focus and also in your role as host? Sure. Well, I'm going to start out with one way back in the day. And it, you know, hopefully this is going to be encouraging to everyone. Because I think when people talk about careers, they talk about only their highlight reels. And then like a 20-something is like, seriously, like, how am I supposed to do that? 
When I was in high school, beginning in high school, I started working like as a switchboard operator and also as a receptionist in various companies. One of them was the company my mom worked in. And that gave me great skills in thinking quickly on my feet, learning how to speak, you know, articulate things, how to work with multiple different people. I mean, obviously, I was the company I worked in for the longest period of time had about 5,500 employees. So I was patching people through all the time. And this was back, you know, when you're getting corporate calls, so way before smartphones. So it was like, oh my goodness. So that was a really great formative one. And then obviously working a reception desk, which people think is so like, oh my goodness, you know, how could you do that? But I met some of the most interesting people and learned how to start conversations. And to our previous question, ask good questions of people and get to know people. So that was really fun. Um, I would also say, um, I've talked about this some too. This wasn't a job, but back when I was in college, I decided or I offered to be a student chapel speaker in my oh, chapel. Wow. And so I actually cool. did the chapel message when I was a junior in college and uh, delivered that, shared elements of my testimony, among other things. And it was then that I realized I could possibly like do public speaking uh, mm -hmm. someday. I did this. I spoke for 35 minutes. I did not implode. And so I was pretty um, encouraged <laughs> that I actually yeah. made it through that. And so I think both of those things were formative. Um, and then just the third one I'll throw in is my time in Washington, D.C. I worked on Capitol Hill and talk about working with people of differing backgrounds, different perspectives, people that disagree with you. I think my career in PR kind of worked in tandem with that of just, you know, it's not you're going to discover, shocker, that not everyone agrees with you or not everyone thinks you're great. Mm. And so just to be <laughs> gracious in that and to love people where they are and learn to um, work with multiple different personalities is a great way of getting some experience in that yeah. as well. No, that's great. Wildcard question. Okay. What Bible character would you switch places with for one day? Of all the Bible characters, just for one day, what character is it and what day is it? Okay. This is going to be, this is super hard for me and I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give one Old Testament and one New Testament because I just <laughs> cannot narrow it down. The, only, the Old Testament, only because of this moment in time. Moses standing at the Red Sea and parting it. Mm -hmm. And I can't even get super spiritual about this. This is straight up out of the Prince of Egypt that yeah. makes me want to make this happen. Valid. I'm like, I'm sure, you know, God has scripted it very well in his word, but to see that on the screen and be like, what would it have been like to be there? That was amazing. The other, I would say, is a little bit of a hodgepodge. Like maybe, let me say Peter, because I'm going to say that moment in time after Jesus has been resurrected oh, and the, yeah. does the disciples, the little gaggle of disciples comes in on the boat and Jesus is on the shore with a fire and he tells them, you know, basically is instrumental in them catching some fish and then just sitting and chilling with their dear friend and frying yeah. fish over a fire and realizing you are sitting with the resurrected Lord. That would have been an amazing, amazing moment. I will second your Moses take. Okay. I would totally, and, and also for the same <laughs> reason, outrageous. Prince of Egypt, just that. Yeah. You can't was there really that. a whale in the wave? I don't know. I don't know. But it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I also think, you know, if I could trade places with Thomas, just oh, the day yeah. that he like actually mm -hmm. got to see Jesus in all of his resurrectedness mm -hmm. and actually have Jesus look at you and be like, no, actually like here I am, feel like my broken body that I broke for you and just like trust that I'm like real yeah and like right here with you yeah too cool mm -hmm. and even getting back to that Moses comment I'm like 
There's not. That's why I only pick that moment in time because the rest of Moses's life, I, know. I don't know that I could handle it. Oh, I mean, there's man. so many. If you look at the body of the way that people walked out their faith in Scripture, it was. I mean, there was a lot of faithfulness Just and a lot his of hair trust for it forty was years. Hard, hard, hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I've actually been reading about Moses in my own devotion time right now. Wow, he saw some incredible stuff, but. Like you said, I don't know if I would have had the patience he did because there were so many times where even God was ready to say, I'm done with the children of Israel and Moses would plead on their behalf. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. He definitely gets a bad rap too because he loses his patience. He loses his cool, like, I don't know, two, yeah. three loses times. Loses his original family. I mean, right. so there, yeah. there's just a lot of like heartache in his story right. too. Yeah. And I think we do a similar thing with him than we do with the disciples when they're like confused. Mm hmm. And we're like, come on, disciples. He's saying it so clearly. <laughs> with Moses, like, he has to deal with the Israelites for so long. Yes. <laughs> and he just, like, one time hits the rock, one time, you know, breaks the Ten Commandments. We're like, Moses, you lost your cool. And Moses is like, you are not even here. That is not even a criticism. You can levy against me. So that's kind of the perfect uh, segue, actually, to the next question. We're talking about Bible characters and Moses' frustrations. So what is something that you wish Christians would stop doing in church? In other words, kind of what's bi- what's your biggest church pet peeve? Because if we're all honest, we've got one. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Take your um, time. Yeah, I know. Okay, so if I'm going to say, and this is because I actually now am um, on the women's ministry team at my church, and it's mm-hmm. really a blast to be part of, but... It's funny how the more you get involved with ministry in a church, like the more of the weird underbelly of church you get to know, and you're just yeah. kind of like, did I sign up for this? Okay, why are these people so crazy? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the people in that I'm working with. I'm talking about just what you experience at church. So I'm going to say the, the first one, which is a little bit funny, but I think it's very across the board of any church, is just people who feel the need to make everything about their personal preferences. So the complaints, and I mean, this is not even me. I mean, this is what pastors get. I don't even have to deal with this, but pastors and church staff who every week someone has to complain about the music because if it's not too loud, it's too soft. If it's not too many hymns, it's too many worship choruses. If it's not... So this idea that church is all about our personal preferences and about what is in it for us um, is something that isn't in scripture and something I think that we have to vehemently oppose. Taking it outside the church walls and talking just big C, because y'all know I have opinions, so I just need to talk (laughs) here, okay? is um i've mentioned this on the show too this concept of like what what i refer to as meme theology of like i'm not really going to study god's word i'm not really going to be in a body of confessing believers i'm not really going to walk out my faith with other people and take accountable instruction and stuff i'm just going to like put up some things on instagram snatch a verse here or there try to walk it out and then be all like self-help the rest of the time so this idea of where social media has taken over the church we're putting up memes we're competing with one another we're way into this church influencer culture which isn't the gospel and isn't god's word it's not authoritative um those are probably my two biggest ones yeah no i think social media just taking a look at church culture before social media Mm -hmm. and after social media Mm -hmm. would just be a really interesting case study and like Mm -hmm. how do we live out our faith when everyone sees how we live so along those lines too i bet church culture has changed since you started the show and now 800 episodes later so talk about particularly we were curious about the christian dating pain points then 
mm-hmm. and the Christian dating pain points now? Because nowadays, I think we're pretty well acquainted with the inbox questions that come in. What were the common dating you know, pain points in the church back when you started the show? Mm-hmm. And what are they now? Kind of compare and contrast those. Yeah, I would say if I think about this, it's it's really funny because I haven't put a lot of thought to this beforehand. So that's a really great question of, um, you know, you felt like things were a lot more broad brush back then and a lot more commonly like experienced among a lot of different people. So you think of things like, okay, why, you know, we would get questions that everyone knows are just so often asked and have been forever. Like, why are guys so passive? Why are guys, you know, why don't guys ask me out? Why don't, why are women so catty and crazy? You know, why are they always trying to take over and and tell me that I'm lame? (laughs) So, you know, it's like, pick your gender and they're going to have something to criticize about the opposite sex. I felt like that was big um, when we started the show. I felt like the whole idea of coming off of the what we often call the purity or the courtship culture was mm-hmm. big. I mean, it had really sunk its talons into a lot of people who were paralyzed to date because it was almost like unacceptable in a lot of Christian circles to ask someone out on a date. You felt like you had to be pretty sure you could marry them. So kind of getting rid of a lot of the the vestiges of that. And then this is wacky. This really talks about how time marches on the whole conversation around, is it okay to date online? I mean, that Mm. was like the, you know, online dating and apps really weren't even a thing. Because when we started the show, smartphones had really just kind of come out. The iPhone was in its first or second generation at that point. So um, the whole concept of like, is it trusting God to go online and start Mm. dating people? Is it trusting God to like, look outside of your church and try to find people to date? So, you know, this whole like, what you know is online dating scary or wrong or dangerous or all of that kind of stuff so i think you know obviously tech has has come into that space wow yeah those are huge changes honestly just over a 15 year period to think about well and i will say too just now looking now what i'm seeing today and for those of you who listen to the show today you'll see this reflected in our questions and whatnot i would say everything on a relational scale is amped up now. And much of that is because of technology. So the prevalence of sex and porn and the prevalence Mm -hmm. of mental illness in people and having to navigate that in relationships and realizing that addictive behaviors and natures are so much more common and common threads throughout navigating life um, in general is is really a serious concern. So we're seeing a lot more of that rather than just what people would consider now like the more petty things. And a lot of relationships aren't by themselves they're not in a capsule you can't Mm -hmm. just have the relationship with another person because of social media because of technology now whatever relationship we're in we're now comparing it to every single one not only in our personal life but also these ones that we don't even know anything about on the internet or you're having these fake digital relationships and calling them relationships so that's another problem yeah for sure so lisa this has been a lot of fun but we do want to ask one more question What would you say is the biggest thing you have learned about God or how have you grown in your walk with God since you took over hosting The Boundless Show 15 years ago? Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's a huge question. And I think, I mean, the way I want to summarize it in saying about the show in particular is that I have recognized in all my years here so far that... Ultimately, you guys, God is the real host of this show. Like, I mean, I I always tell people, my name is not on this show, you guys. Um, and the the way I see this is when we talk about stuff. I mean, there are times John and I sit down, we're trying to come up with ideas, you know, or whatever. And we're like, okay. And I think to myself, 
surely we have said everything there is to say in the world about XYZ topic. And then someone comes along and we have a conversation or someone writes a book about something. And then that week we will hear from someone who will be like, that is exactly the show I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we would love to say that we orchestrate all this and we know that there are people dealing with this. And so we're going to put it, sometimes we're just putting shows together, you know, and, and Alex, you're editing shows and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's this going to, what's the finished product going to be. But, you know, we feel like we don't know what we're doing, but God always knows what he's doing. And I mean, when we have someone who says, because of this week's show, I left an abusive relationship, wow. or because of this week's show, I decided to give God another chance and return to church, or I decided to go back and, and enter into Christian community, or I finally understand what it's like to actually read your Bible instead of just trusting the faith that I grew up with. I mean, that's where the impact is. And I think to see God show up and realize how he has a plan for all of us. He, you know, this isn't some, this wasn't a huge like career move for me to be like, you know, again, like I said, I was working another job. I thought I was going to be a media person. And so um, to have this opportunity and to be part of this and the people that I've met and the way that I've just seen God work in their lives and grow all of us through this um, has been a real privilege. So great. Cool. And those impact stories are why we do what we do. Absolutely. And I never get over the fact that Jesus is still saving people 2,000 years later. And when we hear the stories that you guys write to us, it makes it all worth it. So thank you, Alex, Lisa. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for all you've done for us, Lisa. Here's to another 800 more. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, guys. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Come to me, all who are weary and burned. To me, all who are tired and lonely down. Come to me, all you who toil and labor and hard. We give you Well, hey everyone, we are back this week for our culture segment with our friend Dr. Greg Smalley. He is actually, I didn't say this last week, so because I figure you all just know him, but he's actually VP of Marriage here at Focus on the Family, one of the leaders of our family ministries department. Um, he and his wife, Erin, who was supposed to be here, but she got sick, and so we're letting her recuperate. And so Greg is uh, taking on the charge here to talk about great marriage prep advice, uh, specifically out of the book that they wrote together, titled Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. And uh, the subtitle on that is 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. And so last week, we talked through a few of those. We're going to cover a few more today. And so um, if you didn't hear last week yet, hop back and take a listen. Um, you can still listen to today's first if you need to. It's, <laughs> it's not entirely cumulative. So you should be you should be okay. We won't judge you. Um, but Greg, welcome back. Thank you. Once Good again, to have you back. to be here with you. Okay, well, I promised our listeners last week that we were going to kick off with a conversation on conflict yes. this week, because I know that admittedly you're an expert in this. 
yes, um, not <laughs> not because you love conflict, but just somehow you ended up getting into so many conflicts. I avoid conflict like the plague. You do. Come on, you do. Well, it's really funny. Maybe that's God's just word to you that He's like, no, you're not going to avoid it. Yeah, <laughs> this no. isn't going to be uh, isn't going to happen. So, okay, so I want you to talk a little bit about conflict. Um, you know, and I know that you love talking about this because you you have a book uh, titled "Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage." So, but what? How does a couple fight? I think a lot of people would assume, well, isn't it better just to not fight at all? Um, isn't it better? I mean, don't you know that you've picked the one if you guys just get along with everything and you have the same likes and dislikes and whatever? So, let's maybe talk generally first about. How do you even understand whether or not you are able to do conflict if you have a conflict style that's just unhealthy or you have never even developed it? <laughs> and then how you can kind of take that into a relationship and start kind of like figuring out how am I going to apply this here? Yeah. What I love about conflict is it's, it's really it's going to be based on our differences. Mm. And that's the beauty of marriage is how different God created me, created Aaron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of those differences, we're you know not always going to agree or we're going to see things very, very differently. And, you know, in our culture, we cite for divorce, irreconcilable differences, mm-hmm. which is I, I just, just totally disagree with that as a concept. Mm-hmm. Differences are never the problem. That's the beauty, the, the the spice inside of a marriage. That the problem is how we try to manage those differences. That that's where we get into trouble. But part of where you have to begin is to to recognize, to value the way that we're different. I mean, that that's a good thing. When God said He made us, you know, in His image, created us male and female, and then He kind of stepped back and He said, "Man, this is, I I did good mm-hmm. here." So. Differences are never the problems, how we try to deal with them. Um, You're going to fight. You're going to have conflict. You're going to disagree. You're going to look at each other and think, what planet are you from? How could someone who's so beautiful, who I'm so in love with, think so differently than me? It's just going to happen. And and I think in those moments, you, you just have to remember that one of the best Things that that I've ever learned to do is when Aaron and I start to get into conflict, I have to remind myself that, you know what, there has to be room for both of us here. Mm. This can't just be about what I want or how I see things, that there has to be room for both. Both matter. Mm -hmm. As you look and explore this person to see, yeah, do I want to spend my life with him or her? Notice when you get into conflict, when you, you disagree is there room for both of us? Because, boy, if, if not, run. That's mm-hmm. a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you kind of go into dealing, managing conflict with, okay, we both matter. There's room for both of us. Let's figure this out. The other, My other pet peeve around conflict is that we call it conflict resolution. Right. I hate that as a term. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. stop saying it because it sets an expectation that somehow we need to – the goal is to solve or fix mm find a solution to whatever's going on mm-hmm. in the best marriage researcher on the planet a guy named John Gottman mm. found that that 70% of all conflicts in marriage are perpetual mm. in other words they they deal with things that that will never get solved mm-hmm. that like personality differences I'm an introvert Aaron's an <laughs> extrovert do you know how many arguments that we get into just based off of how many people she wants over to our house at any one time or right. like, like this week, we just were talking about, I said, I'm noticing that every day 
we are with someone new. Mm-hmm. Like, can we have at least <laughs> one of those days back? And remember, both of us have to matter. Yeah. But it's not like I'm going to wake up tomorrow in spite of her prayers. And I'm sure they, <laughs> she's faithful and praying. I'm not going to be, be extroverted tomorrow. Yeah, We will constantly fight about that stuff. So a lot of differences between us and those create conflict. And so the goal isn't to how do we resolve that? The goal should be how do we repair mm-hmm. When those conflicts happen, when we disagree, when we bump into the differences, how do we make sure that we're circling back mm. to go, hey, you know, what? I'm not sure what happened last night, but man, that didn't feel very good. Can, can we do a repair? Mm-hmm. That's literally how Aaron and I talk to each other. Wow. Hey, something was off last night. I'll ask her, is, is there anything we need to repair? Mm. And a lot of times she'll be like, nah, I, we were both tired. Mm-hmm. Or she'll go, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then I know what my goal is. And yeah. so I think that's what trips up a lot of people is they have the wrong goal. We're trying to solve or fix something yeah. versus repairing means that we just we circle back and we'll just care about how that felt to the other person. Yeah. Aaron, what was that like last night when we were talking about how many people are coming over and I, I got super frustrated? You know, what would that feel like? Oh, I felt really controlled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if she asked me, you know, I, I just, you know, feel unimportant that, that, that what's important to me is some alone time, you know, isn't being respected, whatever. Yeah. But, but just to come back and just go, you know, how did you feel? And that matters to me. And, oh, that makes sense that you would feel that way. And, boy, you know, I, I, that matters to me. And we're just full of compassion yeah. for each other. And then we move on. Yeah. It's not that we got to sit down and figure this out. How many people can we have over at any one given? We don't need to do that. Yeah, right. And yeah. so I think most Legislate people. Legislate it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just have the wrong goal. Yeah. So make the goal to repair conflict, not to resolve it. Well, and it's a good point that you make about being able to identify how something makes you feel. Right. I think a lot of people are unable to do that. And right. so they make it about some ancillary thing that right. it's not really about. Really, it's not even like the issue has no longer become the issue. It's how hurt I felt by those words right. or what this, you know, uh, it made me feel devalued. In fact, I have friends who have gone through different counseling um, programs or whatever that have their sheets of feelings and they still, and the I was like, I need will, a copy yeah. of that because, you know, Sometimes it's hard to hard to identify that. Erin's you know, a, a counselor, so part of her full time job is as a marriage therapist. She has a feelings wheel pillow. Oh wow! That okay. people literally will hold on to, wow. and then they can just look down and go, "Oh, I feel you know whatever." Right. Okay, well, I do want to touch on this. Is one that I think should be fun for people um, because they probably are very assumptive, saying that, "Oh, this is something I'm going to be really good at," and that is the idea that true love needs time to grow because it's about spending time together. And every new couple is going to be like, "If I had my druthers, we would spend 24/7 together, and we're just going to stare into one another's (laughs) eyes. Yes, it's going to be so easy. It's going to be so amazing. Yes, but um, what you're you're saying that not necessarily true once life sets in and all of a sudden there's jobs, there's bills, there's tensions, there's kids. kids. I mean, as stuff creeps in. So what does that look like? How can a couple start building up time on the front end? And I know you have a couple principles for making that happen so that, you know, they don't get into midlife and all of a sudden they realize they've drifted in their roommates. Yeah. And I think the biggest culprit for drifting as a couple is when we get into what I would call work talk mode, Mm -hmm. 
which is where we're administrating our relationship. We're talking about the to-do list and who's going to pick up what. And, you know, even today, I mean, before I could leave the house, Aaron and I had to figure out, okay, you're sick. So, okay, I got to pick up Annie at what time? I got to drop her over. All that Mm -hmm. ends up monopolizing Mm -hmm. the communication within a marriage. Mm When, when we do marriage seminars, we'll ask people, okay, we'll explain, you know, mm-hmm. what work talk is and administrating your marriage. And then we'll say, so what percentage of your communication is work talk? And Lisa, 90% is probably the average mm-hmm. that we hear. I mean, think about that. If mm-hmm. 90% of our communication is just like some business meeting mm-hmm. between the two of us, I mean, that gets boring over time. Mm-hmm. And that's why people, a lot of times you'll see couples out at a restaurant on their phone or not really talking because they don't know how to talk. Yeah. That's why I think one of the best habits you can get into is a researcher followed couples for 30 years and looked at the ones who had stayed together and what was different about them. And what she found was that the couples that stayed together, happily married, spent 10 minutes a day in what she called inner life communication, hmm. exploring just, you know, how, how, what's stressing you out? How do you feel? Uh, what are you fearful about? What are you dreaming about? What do you want? What do you desire? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That will never happen on its own. Mm-hmm. All this other communication around, you know, tasks and to-do lists will, will just happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a choice but to talk about that stuff. But inner life communication will never, ever just spontaneously happen. You have to sit down and, and actually ask questions to each other. And so Aaron and I have started doing this. That's really a habit within our relationship, 10 minutes a day. Mm. And the way that we do this is what was the high of your day? Mm. What was the low of your day? Mm-hmm. And what do I need to know? Mm-hmm. And, and that last question was is a newer one. Mm. And because what one of the things that we found is that there, there are certain things that we probably should be talking about or reminding our spouse or telling our spouse Mm -hmm. that we just don't think about. Hmm. So the, the, what do I need to know might be, you know, I've been feeling super defeated lately Hmm. and I just, but I didn't really want to talk about it, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the high of your day, the low of your day, and what do I need to know? That's our 10 minutes. And, And it's been a great, simple thing. It's now a habit for us. We usually do that at the end of the day. You know, our work schedules allow us at the end of the day to lay in bed. And that's usually when we have that that little 10-minute conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one of the most important kind of habits around time together. Make sure you're building in that 10 minutes a day of that more inner life conversation. Yeah, which is cool because I think you could encapsulate a lot in those three questions. I mean, it could be like, you know, I see that you're reading a new book. Tell me about it or what's been a really cool thing you've learned out of that or something. And you can get, it's kind of the stuff, you know, hopefully you all listening, this is the stuff that you're doing on dates now. You just have to remember (laughs) to keep that when life creeps in and and everything else, all the responsibilities that, uh, that come alongside that. So yeah, that's a great, um, a great point. Okay, well, we would be remiss if we didn't have a conversation about sex. So first of Let's all, let me preface for our audience, um, we're not saying go out and practice sex. <laughs> or I don't know. We'll see what Greg says. I don't know. This might be his future at Focus on the Family, depending on how he answers Why did this, Greg get fired? We... <laughs> oh, it was bound, the boundless show. Okay. Exactly. But nor do we want single young adults, dating adults, engaged couples to go into marriage feeling like, because 
so many say, oh, all I heard growing up was sex is bad, sex is dirty, don't talk about sex, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're supposed to be some kind of borderline porn star once you um, (laughs) get married, not literally with the porn, but just so knowledgeable about sex and stuff. So I would love for you to just generally state, as you counsel couples, you know, what would you say for a healthy single young adult, whether they're dating or not, what should they know or expectations or just kind of like, where where should they be on the page about like expectations for sex in marriage? Yeah. What it, what what really should they be thinking about talking about without getting down weird roads? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's important to, to understand what usually is going wrong mm-hmm. within marriage around sex. And number one, couples are horrible talking about their sexual relationship. And so what you're trying to do on the outset, so as you're dating engaged, is you're wanting to build in the habit that it's okay to talk about sex. Now, when you're dating, of course, you're not, you're (laughs) not first date. No, exactly. (laughs) You're, you're wanting to limit what you're actually talking about, but you can still be asking good questions around just standards and, you know, where, where do you draw the line and what, what's, you know, history wise, what's that look like? And just all those Mm -hmm. kinds of appropriate questions for dating, for engaged. The point is you want to develop that habit now. So that when you're married, that's just already a natural part of what we do. It's okay. We've, we've trained the relationship that we're going to talk about intimacy. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about affection. We're going to talk about desires and, and limits and how will we protect and guard. I mean, the same conversations that you're having mm-hmm. when you're dating about how are we protecting and guarding our relationship around sex and intimacy and affection, all those things, you still have to have all those. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about what's appropriate as far as the relationship with the opposite sex now that we're married. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that happens if you do the work while you're dating and engaged and really develop a, this is going to be a safe place. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about these issues and we're going to do that in a respectful way, a non-judgmental way to where we just, we learn that it's okay. And mm-hmm. so as you then get married and have to have, you know, deeper conversations and, and broader conversations around your sexual relationship, you've already trained each other that this is okay. Yeah. We're already, we, we did this when we were dating. Now we're going to continue to have these kinds of conversations. And so just know that's what's going wrong for mm-hmm. so many couples in marriage that they just, they don't talk about it. Yeah. So they just build up resentments and confusion. They get hurt. They draw conclusions based upon things that they thought would happen that aren't, Yeah. you know, differences in, you know, in desire and frequency. I mean, all those things that the couple, the married couple should be talking about. Yeah. Well, that I guarantee you that they weren't, talking about that stuff or developing the good habits that that we can talk about anything. Yeah. So that's really the the goal yeah. as you're dating. Let's make this just train each other. How will this be safe to talk about these more, you know, these in, more intimate, difficult conversations? Yeah. And I would think that that is why, you know, 
counseling on the front end while you're single and working with a mentor or a mentor couple is so important because you can have with the same gender those kind of conversations very freely about really uncovering stuff that maybe you need to work on now that might play into whether you have a past sexual history, whether you experienced abuse as a child. I mean, there's a lot of, you don't want your boyfriend or girlfriend becoming your sex therapist and trying to help solve all your problems and determine whether or not, oh yeah, can we get married? Let me see if I can help you through this. That seems to be a pretty unhealthy um, position to come from. Absolutely. But if we don't learn that we can talk about serious things Mm -hmm. in a way that feels safe that that we grow closer together. It, it's not going to happen once you once the rings are on and you've yeah. said the I do's. For it sure. just won't, and that's sadly a topic that so many couples just avoid. Okay, and it just leads to such disconnection and frustration, and then resentment builds up. Erin was just telling me about a couple that she was working with that for the first time came in to see someone going, "We haven't had sex in seven years." Hmm. Your first thought is, "Guy, why, why did it? Uh, sadly, why did it take seven years yeah. before you finally went in and got help?" Yeah. So that's why the more you can talk about, the more that you turn to mentors and and ask other couples questions. I mean, you're just training that not only will we feel safe to talk about it, but we're going to ask and get help yeah. around some of these things. And you can do that as you're dating and engaged. Again, limits on the kinds of questions yeah. that you're going to be asking, but you still, there, there's lots that you can explore together that would be totally appropriate. Yeah. Okay, well, the last piece I want to talk about in our last few minutes here is, again, something that probably no one wants to talk about, but for a different reason. And that is because, Many of us are probably over-assumptive of how healthy we are in this area, (laughs) and then you're going to find out that you're not. And there is a secret in Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage that is true love serves. And everyone thinks that they're the most magnanimous person. And surely they're super chill and whatever. But I always uh, hearken back to my dear friend, Kara, who uh, reminded me that she never knew how selfish she was until she got married. She never knew how angry she was until she had kids. And so you have stuff. I mean, there are so many expectations and or just cluelessness, ignorance about the workings of a marriage and what it looks like, the give and take, the camaraderie, the, you know, the team nature of marriage that We all think we're good at this. None of us are as good at it as we think. Um, One of the things you straight up mention in the chapter, you and Aaron Gregg, is just the someone saying, uh, that's not my job. Okay. So (laughs) that, speaking of our conflict conversation, is not going to be the best way to head something off at the past. So what would you say, what are some of the most, um, the, the scariest areas to tread when it comes to you're really not ready to serve your spouse and you're not a servant in the way that you think you're a servant and clear paths for growth in that. Yeah, well, all of this really comes out around probably chore wars, uh-huh. household responsibilities, trying to divvy that stuff up. Because, it, I mean, it takes a, a lot to run a family, to run a marriage, mm-hmm. just the stuff that you've, you've got to be involved in and decide who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Where I learned this is I came home one night after work, Aaron... I'd take the kids to school. She'd pick them up. So she's, you know, homework's going, dinner's going. I walk in and just the kids were horrible and acting out and they're hungry, tired, just all of that. So I just see all this 
total chaos. And mm-hmm. so I simply trying to serve my wife go, hey, whoa, how can I help? Mm. Well, that so triggered her. It totally pushed a button. Huh. And she goes, basically, she said, listen, you're a, you're a big boy. Not talking about my weight, but the, my my age. <laughs> okay. So you're 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 grown old up. enough. You're yep. a grown up. Look around, <laughs> figure out what needs to get done. Jump in and do it. Yeah. Well, I was so offended by that because mm-hmm. I and I said to her later as we were, I was trying to repair this, uh-huh. and I said, "What what happened there? Mm-hmm. I you know I truly was I meant that from a really good place. Mm-hmm. Like I was just I saw that you needed help, and I wanted to know how I could help you. Yeah." And she goes, she goes, no, she goes, I was exhausted. So I probably snapped at you. She goes, I I get your heart, but she goes, you have to understand that when you say that, what you're really saying is that this is all your responsibility. And in this moment, out of the goodness of my heart, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to help. But at the end of the day, this is still yours Mm -hmm. and you're responsible for it. And she goes, honey, this this is you're all responsible for all of this. I'm responsible for all of it. Like our life, it's it's both of us are responsible for all of it. Mm-hmm. And she goes, when when you posture yourself as all of a sudden my assistant mm-hmm. or my helper, it just implies that this is really mine. So may, maybe you won't feel so generous tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And and it was a it truly was a light bulb moment. I mean, it was a, just a, a profound insight that I went. That's totally true. Because mm-hmm. what I had done is just, I mean, Erin, you know Erin. She's so strong, so capable, mm-hmm. just such a hard worker. Hypervigilant. Like, yeah, she, very, can, she can accomplish gonna, so much yeah. that it's easy for me to kind of go, okay, that's yours. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is mine. And together we did it all. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Because what you're trying to do is establish a, an attitude first and foremost is that I, I'm responsible for it all. And so is she. Mm-hmm. Let's have that attitude that it's not like yours and this is mine. Mm-hmm. You know, we still have to divvy stuff up, mm-hmm. but you never want your spouse to feel alone mm-hmm. that, that this is just mine. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll help out, maybe you'll serve, maybe you won't. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge difference. Like, like when it talks about bearing each other's burdens, mm-hmm. you know, that means that that we recognize that there there are things that, that Aaron is incapable of, of carrying on her own. Mm-hmm. And bearing means you either support them. In other words, you're like, hey, I'll grab the corner here and I'll help. Mm-hmm. Or you eliminate it. Maybe you take that on. I remember one time asking Aaron, hey, what what's the job? What, what, what do you most hate mm-hmm. around the house? And, of course, I knew what she was going to say. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you want me to dishes, right? Oh, she hates dishes. So okay. I'm like, you know what? Let, let me own that one. I mm-hmm. can do that. The, the, it's just an attitude that beyond serving, I want to help you in this moment, that that there's an ownership, that this is our life. Like, we both own all of this. Now let's figure out, you know, who's going to do what, but in a way that you're never, ever going to feel alone. Mm-hmm. During COVID, my a big epiphany around this too was that when you know our, our older adult, like everybody was in the home during lockdown, and w- at one point Aaron goes, "Listen," very early on, she's like, "Listen, all y'all are adults. I'm not cooking three meals for everybody. Why am I cooking yeah. for everybody? You're you, not you an figure this out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. And so and so I somehow ended up being nominated and voted in as the chef. Now, okay. so I was the cook. 
and so what I would do is is I would get up and I'd figure out what was in the refrigerator and 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 then I'd start to worry what time do I need to take the meat out and thaw it or do I need to run to the store? I just realized I would think about it throughout the day. Mm-hmm. This one time I was telling Erin, hey, I want to cook this thing. Here's two recipes. Wh- which one do you like? And she looks at me and she goes, hey, she goes, I trust you. You got the chef and kind of like patted me on the behind. And I was so irritated. I'm like, no, I don't want to decide this. Like, help me figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it was honestly, Lisa, in that moment, I went, oh. Is this what it's been like for you? Because mm-hmm. Aaron's a fantastic cook, so she would cook and I would clean. Uh-huh. But there was never a moment that I would ever fret throughout the day. Do I have enough liquid soap? Mm-hmm. Is the right. sponge okay? Do yeah. I have a scrubber? <laughs> like you know. But uh-huh. but I realized, and I asked Aaron, "Is this what it's been like for you for like you know twenty eight years?" Mm-hmm. And she she smiled. Yeah. And I was like, uh and and that's a good example of she felt alone in that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're trying to guard against is even however we divide this stuff out, you, you never, you want to make sure that this person, your spouse never feels alone in, mm-hmm. in the more that we enter into each other's world and how can I serve and help mm-hmm. sacrifice for you? The the more you're guarding against those things. So it really, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to, I had to learn that, to take ownership of everything mm-hmm. and show up that way. Mm-hmm. And then we can divide out, but it's not, this is yours and this is mine. Yeah. And it's, we're free to say at any point in time, this, you know what, this isn't a win for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, whatever the task is, mm-hmm. or we're free to go, Hey, what, what could I eliminate? What could I take off your plate? What do you, what do you hate? And, and do that. Aaron hates making the bed. I hate making. I think that's the dumbest chore ever invented. Like remember Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, said, "You know, making a bed is like taking your shoes off and then tying them. Like they're, you know, because you're gonna have to untie them to get uh-huh. back into it." But that's a, that was important to Aaron to have her bed made, and so I, I said, "I'll I'll own that." So okay. I mean that that's how we can show up. But yeah. I think it comes back to the, the ownership. Needs to not be oh you own that I own that so we own everything now let's just figure out who's going to do what yeah from that standpoint yeah that's so good and such a heart posture of starting right. with that and I know you talk about and this is why folks have to get the book um, you talk about you know striving to outserve the yeah, other and just totally. starting from that hosp- that heart posture of what does that look like and I think that puts you in the right headspace and heart space to even go after that as a couple and keeping the communication yeah. open so oh man so well we ran out of time such a bummer okay but folks uh the book we've been talking about is crazy little thing called marriage we've been talking with greg smalley here from focus on the family he's vp of our marriage area and i want to give you a few things um before we go first of all like i said last week the book is available to you for a gift of any amount to boundless so head over to boundless.org search for 800 we're actually at our 800th episode if you can even believe it oh my goodness okay so you can get the book there, give a gift to Boundless, we will send you the book. Okay, also, I don't know if you know, but Greg and Aaron actually have a brand new podcast that is titled Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. It's not just about the book, that's kind of the overarching, um, talking about all things marriage and relationships and pre-marriage and every nitty gritty little thing that you want to get into. So this is for married people, but also 
if you ever want to get married, just start listening to it now because this is a great opportunity to we'll, prep we'll for that. We'll tell you what not to do. Gre- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll show you what not to and do. And you'll continue hearing fun stories from Greg and great <laughs> uh, self-deprecating moments, which are very instructive as well. So. Good stuff there. Uh, We want to make sure you know about that. We're also going to have a link to the marriage assessment that birthed this book and the principles in it. And so this is a quick assessment you can take um, specifically if you're married. And I know a lot of you younger adults who are married still listen to Boundless. And so check it out. Um, But just a relational kind of uh, check for you that is really helpful. You'll get some great results from that as well as uh, strategies for moving forward, tools to use in light of that, resources suggestions. It's all great stuff. Hear my cry, oh God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. Hear my cry, oh God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. And when my heart Overwhelmed when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, lead me to the rock, lead me to the rock. Well, all right, it is time for our inbox this week where we answer one of your questions and I get to answer this week's question, which is about church and specifically being a church member. So let me read this question from a listener. Is officially joining a church as a member important? I have several friends who regularly attend and are involved at a local church they love, but they either don't think joining a church is important or even say that church membership is not biblical. I've always felt like committing to a local church body is important, but haven't been able to express why I believe this is in a clear and complete way. Well, thanks so much for your question, and that is great because here at Boundless, we're all about thinking biblically about all things, and so I appreciate your willingness to do this. So um, I'm going to let you know, and in fact, I'm going to reference an article here that we have at Boundless by our friend Aaron Champ. It is titled, Is Church Membership Important? And I remember asking Aaron to write this article because there is a lot of confusion around this topic. And so we want to make sure that we get you some additional information there. But there are reasons why church membership is important. And you can, you know, some churches don't even offer church membership. Okay, so you have to kind of put, if you're in a church that you love and it's gospel preaching and they don't have membership, there are still ways that you can apply these principles. So we're not saying like only be in a church where, you know, you're going to be a hardcore member and you're going to sign on the dotted line. Not necessarily. But here's why I love church membership. I truly feel that church membership is biblical, you guys. I mean, you can see if you read scripture that church membership throughout both the Old and New Testament is very assumptive, okay? Like, look at the New Testament where deacons are assigned to care for the widows. 
they wouldn't be assigned to these widows if you didn't know who these widows are, okay? So obviously names were on rolls, like people had taken names to figure out, here are the widows in our care. Um, we know also that as deacons were appointed and other leaders appointed in the church, you have to know who these people are. And so it's kind of like that ability within a church to stand up and be counted and say, I am part of this body. Now we know from 1 Corinthians 12 that the church is the global body of Christ. Christ. We are part of a body, but we take that body of Christ local by becoming a church member and meaning and, and basically saying, I have committed to one of these local expressions of Christ's body. And so I really feel like church membership is biblical. And, and we can easily pull on uh, the verse two that so many use when uh, they talk about this, which is um, specifically coming out of Hebrews, that exhortation that says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And some will say, okay, well, I meet together with other people. I do go to church, and quite frankly, I'm in a small group, so what's the big deal? Well, that's where a couple of my next points come into play. Um, The importance of church membership from a practical standpoint is that it definitely communicates a level of spiritual authority and accountability to others who are entrusted with a shepherding role over you. And so they have been given by God. And in scripture, these are outlined as elders and deacons. So they may be pastors. Um, they're, they're some mode of church leadership. So in my church, for example, we do have church membership. And when you join my church, you are putting yourself under the authority of the elders as a body of individuals who collectively can kind of help shepherd you and give you some what's what's about walking out your Christian faith. And so where that comes in especially handy and especially necessary is if someone is in unrepentant sin. So if you have someone that has sinned against a brother and you've gone to them directly, you've brought your other brother along with you, then it says then you you need to go before the church and you need to have this conversation. And so when I joined my church, I was saying, if these guys need to get up in my business, I am giving them the authority through my membership to get up in my business and to uh, exhort me scripturally and correct me and be that person that is going to kind of help me keep on the straight and narrow in the way that I need to and make sure that I'm treating others biblically as well. And so that whole element of authority and accountability is so great as well. And then finally, just another communal aspect of being part of a local church and specifically saying, I belong here, is that many of the sacraments then you're going to participate in corporately. So the sacrament of communion as part of the body of Christ, giving to your church and serving your church and being that that person sitting under the teaching of the word collectively with other believers and saying, these are my people, this is my tribe, this is my local expression of my faith in community with other believers. Um, It's also just preventative for um, keeping you from just up and running. You know, I mean, if you belong to a church, it's so easy for us to kind of sit in the back of a church and take in the show, you know, and this is kind of saying, I do not, at least in my intent, I do not want to do that. So how am I going to do that differently? And so just the posture of the heart and the mind towards that, I think is helpful when you say, I'm going to become a member of this body of believers and I'm going to invest and I'm going to be invested in. And it just kind of helps you to walk forward with that mindset and communicate to others that, yes, I'm in it to win it. I hope that you are too. I want to do this life together and make it official. So again, I want to reference and make sure that you know about that article I referenced. Is church membership important? And we will link to that there in the show 
show notes. And so in the meantime, um, we always love to hear from you. We specifically would love to have you um, give us a review of the show. If you hop over to Apple Podcasts, you know I say that often. So those of you who haven't done that, please do it. And I will see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. Hey everybody, here the latest episode of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.